So many times Pardo had lost count, but never a locomotive. Yet Richard had told Pardo about the payload, even suggested the place to pull off the robbery, and the army major had never led them astray yet. Number 18 would be hauling passengers in an express car loaded with greenbacks for the soldier boys stationed at Bowie, Lowell, and Huachuca, and every other post that stank of Yankee fools in the Sonoran Desert. She would come charging around that blind curve, and the boys would jerk the rail loose, sending the locomotive and her cars crashing down the embankment, likely killing everyone on board, and thus making it easy for Ma and the boys to collect the strong boxes full of money. They could take anything of value off the dead passengers and be back in their hideout in the dragoons before the bluebellies knew they wouldn't be collecting the fifteen dollars that month, and those fools waiting at the Tucson depot realized their loved ones were feeding buzzards. With dead eyes, Wade Chaucer watched Pardo slide down the hill. Despite the heat, Chaucer wore a coat of black wool, a fine silk shirt and red necktie accented with a fancy diamond stickpin. The coat remained unbuttoned, and the slim fingers of his right hand drummed a tune on the holster he kept below his stomach. His left hand emptied a cup of coffee by his black boots and slowly pushed back his wide-brimmed gray hat. "'How's your nose, Pardo?' he said easily. Smiling, Pardo slung the blood-stained bandana over his neck, but didn't bother to tie the ends into a knot. That would take two hands, and Pardo wasn't foolish enough to give Chaucer any notions or chances. "'I live,' he said. Chaucer grinned back. "'For how long?' "'Longer than you?' With a shrug and a bow, Chaucer said in Spanish, "'Vamos a ver.' They were opposites, and Pardo hated Chaucer for it. Wade Chaucer was tall, handsome, knew about good wines and champagne, wore a nickel-plated Remington, and could speak when he wanted to like an educated man. Pardo had even heard him talk in some fancy language. Latin, Chaucer had told him. Ma had never got around to teaching Jim Pardo how to read, probably because she couldn't read or write herself, though she often pretended to. Pardo couldn't make five foot four with two-inch heels on his boots and he dressed like some saddle tramp with an old coat that was beaten and scarred but well used. So Chaucer and Pardo despised each other but needed each other, at least for now. Pardo pointed a short finger at the small fire a few yards away underneath the outcropping of rock, a blackened coffee pot on the coals. Your idea? Chaucer's reply came as a shrug, but the gangly man with the rough beard squatting next to the fire answered for him. We rode hard, boss man. Ain't had nothing since day for yesterday. We figured coffee would put something in our guts. Pardo's right hand gripped the colt and he glared. I'll put something in your gut right now, Duke, if you don't put that fire out. If that engineer spots our smoke, the fire's small, boss man, and we built it under— Pardo drew the colt, but Duke started furiously kicking sand over the fire, spraying the pot and cups— while he pleaded with Pardo that he was doing it, he was doing it. The fire was out, no harm had been done. Glancing back at Chaucer, Pardo kept the colt level. The black-clad gunman merely smiled and rose easily. Train isn't here, Pardo. It'll be here. Major Richard said, what if it doesn't come? Then you can help Duke build another fire and make another pot of coffee. Where's Lacey? Chaucer looked up the hill. Pardo shoved the short-barreled forty-four forty into the holster. That's Mrs. Pardo to you, pal. So you keep reminding me. 
The flash of white light caught his eye, and Pardo was moving past Chaucer and Duke, stepping up a series of rocks. He saw the sunlight reflecting off his mother's Winchester. Train's coming, boys, Pardo said, his smile widening again, and he whipped off his sweat-stained hat and waved it at the lookouts, turning, moving quickly. Duke, you sure those ropes are tied good? Yes, boss man. They'd better be. Soledad. Two wiry Mexicans in buckskins appearing out of nowhere suddenly slid down the hill. You and your brother know what to do, amigo? Pardo asked. See, si. the older one with the salt and pepper mustache and goatee answered. Then do it. Come on, Chaucer. Running now, sniffing, Pardo climbed back up the hill, kicking dust and gravel at Chaucer, who was coming up right behind him. Three fingers lacy had found a bottle where he had left her, but she quickly corked it and dropped the rye in the brush beside her. The train? she managed. Get to the horses, Pardo barked. When that train